and welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast that digs into the paranormal and tries to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. And I'm Chad. And this week we have a booyah. Booyahs. And we're still coming at you live from our parents' garage. Woo woo. Hopefully by the time this airs, we'll be back in our house. <laughs> Woohoo. So... We've got some spooky stories for y'all, and if you hear what sounds like bubbling water in the background, there is a fish tank in here with us, and so it may bubble in the background. It'll just add some background noises for... (laughs) All right. Who wants to start? I can. All right, Chad. What you got for us? What the dog knew from Aeon Flux 072. In my old apartment, my dog would on occasion look down the hallway towards the bedroom from the living room and growl for no apparent reason. Also on occasion, when I was sleeping in the bedroom, she slept at the foot of my bed, I would wake up with her staring intently at the door and growling. She was a big girl, 140 140 pounds of Great Dane, Catahoula, and Slobber. That's a big dog. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm there for a couple years of this, thinking, okay, my dog has a good imagination. Wrong. One night I woke up, due not to my dog growling, but barking for all she was worth. And not at the door. She was barking straight at me. I opened my eyes and pretty much immediately, and there was a blur of light leaning over me, very close. Certainly less than six inches from my face. It was not distinguishable as a person, it more resembled a person-sized version of a colorful nebula you might see in a picture in a science magazine. Three-dimensional and all, I immediately got the distinct impression that this thing had been watching me sleep for God knows how long and how many times before. For all the clarity of that distinct feeling, I had no sense of what it wanted, whether it was malevolent or just curious. I flipped right the fuck out, jumped backwards to the other side of the bed, too terrified to scream, and that blur of light receded and disappeared over the course of about three seconds. My dog was going absolutely apeshit. So shortly thereafter, I asked the building manager if anyone had ever died there. She investigated that and came back to me a couple weeks later with a yes. A woman had died of a drug overdose in the apartment in 1995 shortly after having her child removed from her custody because of her addiction problems. My dog will still growl at the hallway from time to time, but I never saw it again. I moved out a year later. Booyah. What makes that one scarier is I'm, our listeners who have listened know my, my, no. my event that I had happen. That's what it was. The dogs were barking and stuff, and I got up to go let them out, and there was somebody sitting at the foot of my bed. That is a scary, scary situation. Oh, yeah. My dog, oh, Freya, yeah. does that towards the bathroom on a regular occasion. doesn't growl, but she'll be playing or something or sleeping and just wake up and stare at dread at the bathroom. Every now and again, she'll do a little bark, and she's just staring at something in the bathroom. It's kind of weird. Let's say our cats do that. Our cats often mm-hmm. stop and just stare down the hallway. But... I don't know. I've heard that cats, they, because they say cats have nine lives, they live all those lives simultaneously in different worlds. 
<laughs> you definitely seems like it sometimes with cats. It kind of seems zoned out all the time. It's pretty much they're on all the different planes of existence at one time. <laughs> Dave, you want to go next? Sure. This is Forever by the Toxic Doom. For Toxic Doom. The first thing I feel as I regain my consciousness is the cold lumpiness of soggy soil wrapped around my hands, like handcuffs made of the ground I lay on, as if the earth itself wants to imprison me. I try as hard as I can to move or open my eyes, but despite all my efforts I remain transfixed to the ground, unable to even twitch a toe. As if gravity wasn't enough of a burden in this peculiar situation, it seems that there's something resting on my chest, bobbing up and down with every breath I take. Its weight is significantly heavier than what my body could possibly be able to support. Such a pressure would normally crush my ribs, smash my lungs and heart, snap open my aorta, and make every single blood vessel inside of me burst killing me in mere seconds. The pressure it exerts on me is unbelievably strong, so strong that I can't actually even feel it at all. In fact, I can't even feel the slightest thing anymore. The mixture of sensations, the constant change of feelings, mentally as physically, is making me sick. The pain becomes unbearable and I start to panic, But as I'm trying to reassure myself that everything will be fine, the grievous feeling disappears altogether, just as if I wasn't feeling anything to begin with. It's as if I've been awakened from a deep hypnotic trance, which I've been in for ages, except that I don't have any memory of what happened before the trance either, as if I've just been reborn with a clean memory and a new life ahead of me, except I know that isn't true as there's something that I vaguely remember about all this, but I can't seem to put it in place. I try moving again, but just as before, not even the smallest movement is possible. Now, however, I'm finally able to open my eyes, expecting to see something resting on my chest, or to be able to examine my surroundings. I'm instead confronted with darkness, pure darkness of the blackest black you have ever seen. The darkness is such a piercing, opaque obscurity that all I can see is nothing. There's literally nothing but a thick veil of darkness surrounding me that blocks my view completely. It's as if the darkness is inside my eyes, burned on my retina. It's as if I never opened my eyes to begin with. Or perhaps they have been open all along. Due to the lack of sight, my other senses start to intensify. I start feeling the coldness of my environment even more than before. And the soil my body has half been buried in seems to be covered with leaves. Where am I? The taste in my mouth doesn't make me feel safe either. A warm sensation that I couldn't really identify or link to anything with a slight favor of some 
familiar metallic substance mixed in. Copper, maybe? Although it's only speculation. I do think it has to be that. But then again, what liquid tastes like that anyway? The only copper thing I've ever had in my mouth was a penny. My nose won't be of much use in this situation either, as my ability to smell has been completely disabled. My nasal passages, blocked off. What is this place? And when will I be able to escape it? I have lost track of time and space. It almost feels as if I've lost myself. It's only now that I notice the most peculiar thing of all. As I try to explore the final sense I have, another terrifying factor comes into play. And the fact that I hadn't noticed it earlier, as if it were completely normal, makes it even more frightening. There's no sound at all. I can't hear anything. I can't even hear my own heavy breathing. And then I heard it. The noise that pierced the deadly silence. A memory. A sound. A scream. A scream I vaguely remember. The scream. The scream that changed my life. Forever. Booyah. Are they buried alive? Sound like he was. That's dead. what I'm guessing. Yeah. And I read that one for you because you've always said like, whatever you do, do not bury me. No. She doesn't want to be cremated. Do not burn me. Oh. <laughs> well, that's even more horrific that I didn't know your final wishes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, though. You hear this? I heard one thing. <laughs> I was thinking, you just let one. Just... I don't know. He's talking about the metallic taste in his mouth. I'm just thinking. Well, I was thinking embalming fluid. Like he's been, that's why he can't move. His nasal passages have been clogged up. Yeah, could be dead. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be mercury. I don't Well, blood has a metallic taste. Yeah. I've never had embalming fluids. So I don't know what it tastes like. There though. are other human flu- <laughs> fluids that have a metallic taste. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, he just said the only thing he's had in his mouth. And the whole, I was thinking of, All right. So my stories are all going to be coming from 101 Scary Stories to Read in Bed Tonight by Lane Loomis. That's a lot of stories to try to read in one night. Well, they're all pretty short, but it's a accumulation, compilation. There's a compilation of a bunch of different stories from different people. Um, Some of them aren't scary at all. Some of them are pretty frightening. So, I've got a few of the the really good ones that I've read this far marked out here. The first one I have to read is The People in the Field. I'm a big guy, so not a lot scares me. You don't sound like a big guy. I'm a big guy, (laughs) so not a lot scares me. I used to be in the habit of walking in the middle of the night when I had insomnia. I hate lying in bed waiting to fall asleep. So, instead of tossing and turning... I get up and walk around my neighborhood for an hour, and then I fall back into bed and dead tired and and sleep. One night I'd taken an even longer walk than usual, convinced that returning home anything less than completely exhausted would be a waste. 
I found myself in the deserted grounds of the town's high school soccer field. The school on one side, the woods on the other. I decided to cut through the field to the street that would eventually take me home. About halfway through the field, I saw something in the near darkness towards the very edge of the woods. Half a dozen shadows emerged from the forest. They started walking towards me. Slowly but steadily, I shouted out, Hello? to them, but no one responded. They just kept walking towards me. I turned around and saw that behind me, a similar group of people had come from the woods and started to spread out in kind of a semicircle around me. I turned around and booked it towards the school. I'm lucky I'm in shape from all those nighttime walks. I have no idea who those people were or what they would have done if I hadn't been able to get away. That's the last night I took an insomnia walk. Booyah. Got another one for us? Dave, do you like my man voice? I do. (laughs) What you got for us? This is Phobia by Horrid Rider. He uttered a curse under his breath. As he had realized, he left it at his friend's house. It was his phone, an iPhone 3G to be more specific, and it was a device he used almost every hour. His friend's house was maybe three blocks away, and he had an important call he was expecting later that night. He would have to go get it, but there was one severe impediment preventing him from doing this. He had horrid acleophobia, fear of the darkness. It was about 10 o'clock now, and it was almost pitch black outside. The only thing making the streets even partially visible were the dim, flickering street lamps. He would have to go out there now, before he missed the call. It wasn't worth being fired just because of his fear. He took his first step out of his door with trepidation, and a shaky foot. He began walking slowly down the sidewalk in the direction of his friend's house, He lived in a quiet suburban neighborhood, where shady characters were few. It was only his acleophobia that transformed the peaceful night town into a dangerous and malevolent place for him to be. He continued walking slowly down the dark sidewalk, the cold air weighing down on his neck. He began to make out something in the dark, several houses down across the street. The shape was vaguely human, though it was too dark to really make out a definite form. This caught his attention, and he felt his phobia intensify. The air felt colder and heavier. He began to walk out of curiosity towards the figure. He felt the malicious vibe from the eerie shape hit him like a shockwave as he walked across the street towards it. These shockwaves came in intervals and the third one, combined with the weight of the freezing air, managed to knock him off his feet. As he began to regain his footing, he noticed the figure was gone. He attempted to brush it off and continued on. He was about halfway to his destination now. He took a glance at his watch. The glass was quickly fogged up by his breath. He cleaned the glass with his sleeve to find the time was about 10.02 p.m. The bizarre thing, as he noted, 
is that he left at 10 o'clock, give or take a minute or so, and yet only two minutes had passed according to the watch. He knew that this couldn't be correct, as he had to have been walking at least seven minutes now, and that it usually took him 15 or so minutes to walk there normally. Once again, he brushed it off as merely a fault with the watch. He continued his trek, oblivious to the oddity that not a single car had passed him on the road. He began to feel a cool wind go down the back of his shirt. The wind breezed down his shirt in short bursts, as if somebody was breathing right down his neck. He felt his body begin to shiver as he slowly turned around. The feeling of dread only escalated until he saw that there seemed to be nobody there and began to calm down once again. He turned back on his way, now almost to his journey's end, only to feel a slight jolt in the side of his thigh. Not dissimilar to the feeling of being violently stabbed in the side with a kitchen knife. He collapsed and let out a screech of agony as the filling quickly overtook his body, and he began to witness blood pouring out from his ears and cockroaches emerging from his skin. He shot himself up in his bed in a frenzy of angst, quickly realizing the ordeal must have been a mere nightmare. He shoddily placed his hand on the spot on his nightstand where his phone usually was, hoping the familiar feeling of his phone would be there to help calm him down. Instead, It only served to worsen his state, as all he felt was the smooth wood of his nightstand. At first, he thought he had merely misplaced it, so he decided to perform a quick inspection of his room to see if he could find it. It was still dark out, so it must have been around four or five o'clock. He promptly walked over to the light switch to lighten up his dark and gloomy room. As he flicked the switch up, the room still remained dark. He flicked the switch down, thinking it hadn't registered for whatever reason, and flicked it back up again. Again, the room was still dark. Perhaps the switch was broken. His phobia again began to take effect. As he slowly began to panic yet again, he put his hands against the wall to help guide him towards where he was headed. He walked slowly and shakily over to his nightstand and grappled for his flashlight. When he grabbed hold of his flashlight, he hastily slammed a finger down on the on button. Nothing. Nothing at all. He began to look around the room. None of the blinking lights on his computer were present, nor were the lights on any other electrical devices in his room. He made his way over to the window and looked outside. All the street lamps were off. The only light he could see was the dim light of the moon outside. He grabbed a clock off his desk and held it up to the window, hoping to get a glance at the time. What he saw on the clock was the time. Zero, 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 zero. Unable to grasp what was happening to him, he decided to head to his friend's house again. In a desperate move to contact another human, he stepped outside and once again began slowly walking down the sidewalk. All he could hear now was a faint buzzing, like the distorted static on a television set. He couldn't even hear the sound of his own footsteps. The air was very, very cold and was extremely heavy now. 
Walking through it felt like walking at the bottom of a pool. The pressure of water on your shoulders and the thick jello-like feeling of the liquid against your skin. He pressed on, growing increasingly tired as the buzzing grew even louder. It seemed the louder the buzzing grew, the slower he walked through the dense air. He walked slower and slower until eventually he was walking about one step per every five minutes. He quickly lost a sense of time. As he was dragged into a calm and sleepy state of euphoria, his walk slowed to hours, to days, to weeks. All the while, everything remained completely dark, except for the shallow glow of the moon above him. Eventually, after what must have been seemed like months and months, he reached the door to his friend's house. As soon as he placed his hand on the doorknob of the front door, suddenly it seemed as if time resumed itself normally. Nothing felt incredibly slow as it did on the walk over, and it looked as though his sense of time had come back. He stepped into the house where the air was not as heavy nor as cold. The house, like all the appliances at his own house, appeared to have no electricity. Not even battery-powered devices were working. It was incredibly dark inside, almost pitch black, if not for the dull moonlight shining through the windows. He walked cautiously around the house until he found himself in the kitchen. He felt around with his hands until he caught hold of what appeared to be a handle. He quickly realized that this was the handle for the refrigerator door. Fruits at one point, as now they were disgusting piles of fungi and bacteria. There were maggots living in the fungi and crawling all along the fridge walls. The cheeses and meat, too, had gone bad and were also reduced to mortifying piles of smelly, wretched goo. So he made his way down the hallway and up the stairs. As soon as he opened the door to the bedroom, an extremely unpleasant smell, not dissimilar to the smell of the fridge, entered his nose. He also heard a faint sort of squeaking. He could hardly make out a vague human-like shape lying on the bed. He assumed it was his friend possibly sleeping. It was still dark out, so he could have been. Then again, it's been dark for a good long while now. How long again? He put a hand over his head, and he wasn't breathing. He walked over to the window so he could let light into the room. He hesitated for a tad, afraid of what he would see, before pulling the curtains open and letting the moonlight into the room. What he saw was too much, as he collapsed onto all floors and vomited on the bedroom floor. There was a glossy, cobweb-covered skeleton laying on the bed. It looked like it had been there for centuries. There was a small family of rats living in the rib cage. It was then he began to feel very lightheaded. He felt as if he was floating away from his body and he slowly lost consciousness, and his limp body crashed to the floor. At that moment, everything around him began to fade away. Slowly, bit by bit, the things around him began to lose their opacity until there was nothing at all, nothing but his inert body. Just then, figures began to appear around him. The figures were tall, 
black and blurry, even up close. They emitted a strange sort of buzzing sound, and with that, his unconscious body too began to fade away into nothingness. With nothing here except for the figures, they began to construct a new terrain, solely by the strength of will. The scene began to build itself again. A typical suburban house began to take shape as the figures, who were presumably controlling this operation, stared on. After the house was built, they began creating the house's decor, placing framed pictures and other such things around. By the time they had finished, it looked like a house that just your normal every man would be living in. They began to form other things, like the blue sky, the sun that would light it. They even created the laws of this miniature world, placing in things like gravity, then filled the place with a cool, nice air to breathe in. At this point, the area was, the area was nothing more than a mere house just floating about with a blue sky above and a brilliant sun. They created a large empty field and planted the house down on it, as if it were a lonely farmer's living. They started to create a large hedge maze, the largest one fathomable, and placed it right outside the house. The maze was so massive that you couldn't see the end of it, assuming there was an end, for at least a hundred or so miles. They connected the entrance to the heads mage to the front and only door to the house, so that if somebody were to walk out, they would find themselves in the maze. It was at this stage that they began to form the specimen. A human specimen began to take form, and they began filling its head with knowledge and memories. By the time the process was complete, he was a totally normal human with totally normal human memories and a totally normal human life. Well, as far as he knew, it was a normal life. He had been living up until now. There was one striking thing, though. This one was claustrophobic. Booyah. Booyah. Oh, that story just had multiple parts to it. and My brain is still trying to comprehend <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all right. For my next one, I will read... Twisted Scary Secrets. Yeah. Twisted Sister? Twisted Scary <laughs> Secrets Between Two Sisters. <laughs> I've always been afraid of my little sister. I know that sounds like I'm, I must be a pussy. Jackie is two years younger, and she's always been an introvert. But she sees things. Even now, at 17, she is still tied to Mom's apron strings. She never leaves the house and still sees things. Everyone thinks he's special. She lied a lot. I was always innocent, and she always had to try and drag me into it. Dad told me one day that she told him about an evil spirit in her room. Jackie would come down for breakfast in the morning with scratches on her back and face. She'd murmur to herself, and we could hear things like, Nasty demons. Mom was upset and took her to the doctors who said that she was doing it to herself and was showing signs of schizophrenia. One time, Dad found bird beaks that were still in dripping blood, scattered and left in strange places around the house. They were stuffed under cushions, inside coffee cups, 
and poking out of air vents. He followed the trail of tiny feathers and drops of blood all the way back to Jackie's room. He went nuts that day. I remember hearing Mom and Dad fight over what to do about Jackie. They sat her down and asked her about the beaks. She took her head violently, chirping like a bird and screeching until they got the medicine down her throat. We were also terrified. I keep I kept my door locked at all times. When I started having nightmares and passing out every time something happened, Jackie was always standing there, staring at me with her pale green eyes. Her messy orange hair always creeped me out. But when she took scissors to it and did a freaky hack job, I wondered if I would be next. Mom was worried that I was going insane too. But when I turned 18, I decided to move out with my boyfriend. I'll never forget the last day when I was packing my bags and boxes. Jackie sidled up to me and handed me an envelope. She giggled and backed away as I opened it. I froze. There were pictures she had drawn of me scratching her face and torturing animals. I looked up in confusion and saw her pointing at me with an evil grin. You're the one, Denise. You're the demon. You come to me at night, in your sleep. I didn't want to believe it, even though I did have problems with sleepwalking when I was little. She whispered in my ears as I fought back the tears and disgust. Keep bringing me the baby birds, Denise. I like the crunch. If you don't, if, if you don't I'll tell, and you'll be taken away. I try to keep her happy. But now, my boyfriend wakes up with scratches all over him. Booyah! My next story is called Selfies from Hell. Booyah! My older sister has a story about camping by herself in the 90s. She sent the... She spent a summer as a backpacking guide in the Boundary Waters canoe area in northern Minnesota and decided to spend a week on a solo backpack before heading home in the fall. She said it was a perfectly normal trip, just like the ones that she had taken all summer in the same area. She never had a bad feeling or anything, except she had brought along a disposable camera to document the trip and have pictures to show family back home. There was a little dial at the top that showed how many pictures you had left before you used all the film. She said that there were a few times she swore she kept keeping tr- she was keeping track of the count correctly so she could get photos of all her favorite places along the way. But when she would look, she'd have fewer shots left than she expected. She finished her trip and packed her stuff up, came home. Eventually, she brought the disposable camera in to get the film developed. When she got the photos back, there were the pictures she had taken of the lakes and the woods along with photos taken of a nude man in a ski mask. They were crude selfies before selfies were a thing. And they were interspersed throughout the rest of the photos she had taken, meaning that the person in the photos had followed her on multiple days, seeming for, seemingly for no reason other than to take creepy photos of himself with her camera. Boo, y'all. Boo, y'all. All right, Chad, what's your next story? The Spider Contract. 
I've already creeped out. Since I was a boy, I've always been afraid of spiders. I freaked out and screamed until mom came in and carried them into the garden. She always had respect for spiders. That I never understood. <clears throat> Many years later, I moved into my own home. Mom passed away, and I was almost comatose. Being self-employed, I was able to take as much time as I needed to grieve. I sunk into a dark abyss and worried that I would never climb out. One night, I woke up and had a creepy sensation that I was being watched. For a moment, I wondered if I was being visited by my mother's ghost. Imagine my horror when I switched the bedside lamp on and saw a huge wolf spider on the table looking right at me. I leaped out of bed, screaming in terror. I threw my shoe at it, but it didn't budge. Hyperventilating, I ran into the kitchen wondering what to do. My blood froze when I saw many different types of spiders all over my counter. I was sure it was an unholy nightmare. I ran out the back door and tried to calm down enough to come up with a solution. While I stood on the patio, I heard the next door neighbors having another drunken domestic argument. They were throwing bottles and screaming at the top of their lungs. But I had to stay focused because I had a bigger problem in my own house. Maybe it was a mixture of grief and panic, but I grabbed a can of fly spray and a lighter. I thought, I can blow torch those arachnids into oblivion. When I slowly walked back into my house, I noticed a hushed murmuring, and for a moment, I thought I was finally losing it. I readied the fly spray and the lighter as I crept into the kitchen, but I wasn't prepared for what happened next. The spiders were now on the kitchen table, grouped up together like an army, with the wolf spider standing alone in front. <clears throat> I dropped my weapons and screamed, <laughs> watching in horror as the wolf spider reared up and waved its front legs at me. It was like it was beckoning me for me to come forward. The others stayed in formation behind it as, I continued, as it continued to wave its legs at me. Then I remember my mom and how she used to always show... She had always shown respect for the world of spiders. An odd feeling came over me. Realizing for the first time that the spiders meant me no harm, I slowly made my way closer to the table, knowing that this was a special event. The spiders stood their ground while the wolf spider continued waving its legs. Once I was about a foot away from the, it stopped. Trembling and feeling like a fool, I addressed this creepy assembly by telling them, that I wouldn't hurt them if they left my house and stayed out of my way. Imagine my surprise when they all started following the wolf spider down the leg of the table and made their way to a crack in the far wall. Over the next few days, I got back to work, even though the rowdy neighbors continued their brawling. One night was particularly bad, with the cops being called. Only an hour after the cops left, the fighting started up again. The next week had more of the same, but louder and more violent. It seemed the co that the cops didn't want to deal with them. I was sick of the screaming, thumping, and glass smashing. It was affecting my work, and there's no way I could sleep through it. Finally, I broke down and cried like a baby, still affected by the grief on top of my frustration. The last straw was when I lost a contract due to not meeting a deadline. I collapsed on my bed and started thinking terrible thoughts about firebombing their house. Then I saw the wolf spider on my bedside table again. 
The initial fear made me sit up, but I calmed down when it waved its front legs, which was becoming endearing to me. I was on the verge of going insane anyway, so it wasn't strange to hear myself asking the spider to help, although I had no idea how a spider could sort out my problems. When it scrambled down the other side of the table, I shrugged and decided to collapse into a bottomless sleep. It wasn't until the next day when a loud knock at my door woke me up. I was surprised to see two cops on my front porch and an ambulance next door. One of them asked if I'd heard or saw anything or anyone through the night visiting the neighbors. When I asked why, he advised me that they dialed 911, screaming that their house was filled with spiders. When the cops finally turned up, the neighbors were dead. It was so, it was so surreal that it took a long time to sink in. I was amazed when I later discovered that the cause of death was multiple spider bites. That night, I was sitting on my desk, secretly pleased that I didn't have to deal with the noise of my neighbors anymore. Then I saw the wolf spider on my desktop speaker. I couldn't help asking if she had something to do with the neighbors. She reared up and waved the legs at me. And I knew at that moment that a beautiful friendship had begun. How did I know if she was a female? My mom always told me that if reincarnation was real, she'd come back as a spider. It's actually a really cool story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Booyah. Well, what's funny is we had a wolf spider in our garage one time. By the way, if you hear a loud roaring in the background, the heater has kicked on and it's right behind us. Um, but I was in the garage and there was this giant wolf spider. He was And my memory is about the size of a tennis ball. <laughs> Realistically, he was probably about the size of like a half dollar. Still, still pretty good <laughs> still size big, spider. Yeah. Still big. But he was big enough that I didn't really want to try to step on him because he was He's huge. Pick you yeah, up. he was going to walk off with me. <laughs> yeah. So I picked up my hedger because it was like the, the biggest thing that had reached to it that I could find. And I go and I go to swat it with this hedger. And it rears up on its back, it rears up its front legs, and like charges towards me. And I was like, I just dropped the hedger. <laughs> I dropped the hedger and ran inside. I'm like, you can have the garage. It's yours. <laughs> Morale check fail. <laughs> just like it sounds like Amy's D and D characters. The dragon roars. Rolls. See if you are scared. One. You ran away peeing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in our house, we kind of have a a relationship with the wolf spiders because wolf spiders are good spiders. They'll, they'll kill. They're very territorial and they'll kill other spiders. So we usually let the wolf spiders live in our house. But I do have a rule with spiders. And if they're in the house, they're fair that, game. that's my property. So I can kill them. If they're outside, they're fine. But if they're in the house, that is my property, and they Say, can be killed. For a few but. years, every, like every Halloween, you'd have a big old banana spider make a web oh, yeah, on those the front big porch. What, orb spiders or whatever they are? Uh, orb weavers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That, we had one this year. It was much smaller. It must have been yeah. the baby from last year. I see. Because, yeah, but. You know, the last, last one I remember was like the size of my fist. Like, oh, yeah. it was big. Those are so pretty. Yeah. See? He, he moved out to the garden in between <clears throat> the blackberries. See? Outside, it's their property. They can stay. Inside, it's my property. 
They could die. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's got another one? This is the aforementioned by Caitlin C. Day one. I've called myself paranoid for quite some time because of the little things that put me on edge. I can't stay in the dark. Even when my eyes focus, I can feel the gaze of some night dweller following me as I tiptoe to stay unheard and scan with my pathetic nearsighted eyes. Me too. <laughs> I can feel something. Something hidden in the dark that must be there since I can't see it. I can't stand the silence either. You'd think the opposite would be true, since at least the silence I could hear if someone is coming. Not someone. Something. But it's not at all. I can feel myself stiff and intense as I strain to pick up a sound. As if the silence is just inviting a sound that doesn't belong. As if it's inviting something to happen. For something to do something. I sleep with the television on. It solves both sources of this instinctive paranoia. Is this me? <clears throat> but now, I don't think it's all paranoia. Lately, I've been hearing noises around the house. And sometimes when I look around, I notice things knocked over. Or missing. Or just moved around. Once or twice, I've heard something moving around just before I turn to find nothing. I've been having nightmares. In the nightmares, a creature I've never seen in even the darkest of folklore tells me I should be afraid because I will be like it soon. Day 5 This morning, in the first moments of waking, I saw something. It was just like the creature from my nightmares. I told myself I was still in those moments of dreaming, but I'm not sure I believe myself. I think it touched me. I think it had claws. Day six. I saw it again, and this time I couldn't deny I was awake. I went to get a drink, and it was in the hall, just outside the barrier of light from my room. It was pale, too pale. It was nearly white, despite its human-like skin, and its eyes were startlingly big and black, faintly reflecting the light. Its pale skin was pulled tight across its bony frame, and its veins were visible. As if the skin were too thin. It had huge claws. It scared me to know they had touched me. They were like razors, and the largest three were a foot long. The other on the bend of its wrist, maybe an inch. They were the same color as mine. All this seemed captured like a photograph in the second it stared at me with its two big eyes. As if surprised, it was noticed. Before it darted into the dark of the hall past the corner it had peeked around. I didn't go to drink. Day seven. I think it left the house, but, but I didn't sleep for fear of waking to feel its claws touch me again. I can't stop thinking about them. They look like they're made of the same material as my own. So how did they look so sharp? Day eight. I was wrong. When I woke up, I was, it was watching me sleep, awkwardly sitting in the corner diagonal from me. No, not I woke up. It woke me up. I heard it breathing. It was a rattling sound like a sick animal, toneless, emotionless, flat. I saw all of it. 
its hind legs are much shorter than its front legs. And I remember my first thought was, how can it walk on all fours with them so mismatched? I could see its ribs. It's so bony. It had no muscle tone. It has no features of any gender. I could tell from how it crouched or sat or whatever it was doing with its short hind legs. It had claws on its feet, the same as its hands. Three toes and one short claw. I realized its face is too long. And it's bald. And it has a nose like a skeleton. It let me look at it. I think it liked that I looked at it. And it's horrifyingly pale and emancipated form. It let me finish. And it (laughs) still... You hit your head again. (laughs) At least let you fit it. It let me finish, and it stared back like it was doing the same thing. (laughs) It let me finish, and it stared back like it was doing the same thing. Like it was taking in. We finished at the same time, and it smiled before it walked away on all fours slowly, as if it was letting me see how it walked. Like it knew I was curious. It looked at me the whole time. It didn't blink. I don't think it can. Oh, God. That stare. Day nine. It was in the corner again this morning. It it didn't move when I saw it, even though I didn't want to observe it again. It stared at me for over an hour before I realized it was waiting for me to get up. I didn't want to get up. I pulled the covers closer and moved closer to the wall. But I don't think it liked that. It reached a long forearm out and hooked a claw into the covers and tore them away from me with a flick of its wrist. I don't know how it did it. It had no muscles, but it was so strong. The speed it pulled gave me rug burns on my hands where I grabbed the covers. It waited and left the covers by my bed. It watched me. It watched me until I finally moved to the edge of the bed. It didn't react, but somehow I felt like it lit up. When I finally managed to stand on quivering legs, it stared at me. It stared from head to foot. Then it smiled and left. It wanted to see how I looked standing. It wanted to see all of me. I don't like how it stared. Day 10. I think it likes that corner. It was there again this morning. This time I didn't feel as afraid to stand, thinking it would make it leave, but it didn't. It kept staring, as if expecting me to do something. We stared at each other for a long time before I think it got impatient. It came toward me, and I moved toward the end of my bed away from it by pure instinct. Instead of chasing me, it seemed pleased. But I was in its way. I was frozen in fear in front of the doorway, which was just past the end of my bed, so it moved past me, unable to make it in the space until I had gotten to its wider hind legs. They bumped into me as I pushed me aside and onto the bed with unexpected force. Its skin is smooth and slightly slimy. I curled there shaking for some time. Day 11. It wasn't there today. A simple comfort. However, as I got dressed, I caught it spying on me. 
I froze with one arm out of its sleeve and with my pants half up. It kept staring. I tried to ignore it and finish dressing, and when I looked back to the door, worried, it was already gone. I felt like it has some kind of plan. The fact that it's intelligent enough to plan makes me nervous. Day 12. It wasn't in the corner again, though I dressed slowly to keep an eye out for it. I almost pray it got what it wanted from watching and left. Unfortunately, I found it waiting in the kitchen, expectantly, like a pet. I fled to my room and it followed me, no, chased me, and was suddenly ahead of me, blocking my path and staring at me with its big eyes that showed no emotion, though I knew it was angry. I went to the kitchen and put a raw steak on a plate. It smacked it away into the wall where the meat hit with a sickening splat while the plate shattered, and I flinched as it continued to look at me. Though it now seemed disappointed in me for getting its desire wrong. Now tentative, I got out the orange juice and poured a cup. Though when I went to offer it to it, it made a low noise. The first I had ever heard. And although it had no tone, I somehow realized it was female. She stared at me with the cup until I finally took a timid sip. And she sat there as if pleased. I made toast and eggs. She wanted none of it, only for me to eat. Once I finished, she got up and left. I wonder if she's trying to fatten me up. Day 13. She's getting progressively further into my life. Today I didn't see her until after breakfast. I went to go to the bathroom and she was suddenly at my heels. Her claws barely missed my ankles as it crept behind me. I kept at a steady pace until I was a step or two from the bathroom before rushing in and slamming the door and locking it. I smiled until, as I sat on the toilet, there was a roar and all six of her big claws tore a hole through the door, letting her in. She sat there with a smile, as if triumphant. I cried as she watched me, and as usual, she left once I was done. Day 14 She followed me out today. I went through my home routine without any sign of her, joyous as I went along my way to school, until I heard it. Her breathing. I don't know how, but I heard it. I looked around in fright and saw her dark eyes watching me from the shadows, and when I stopped, she made that low noise of disapproval. I don't know how, but I heard it, and my feet began to move on their own will to school. She has me trained. She watched me from that. Sh- she watched me from what shadow she could find. And I think she was there in the classroom. Day 15. I'm starting to understand how she works. I kept an eye out for her all day until school was out, but there was no sign of her. When I got home, as expected, she was waiting for me. She seemed glad that I expected her and waited just as expectantly for me to continue along my routine to the next task, homework. She sat by my desk and watched me. I almost felt comforted that I understood what she wants now. I'm not sure I like that I'm comforted. 
Day 19. I was right. She followed me throughout the rest of my daily routine, step at a time until I went to bed. I've started to wonder what she does when she's not watching me. I think she's studying me. I wonder if she's somehow compiling it. I realize that that thought means I believe she's gathering information on me for other creatures. I slept uneasily. Day 20. She's gone. I didn't see her, even after I went to bed. I don't like that I'm worried. Day 23. Still no sign of her. Only these entries in the hole in my bathroom door convinced me she was actually real. Or I'm going crazy. At this point, the latter is starting to seem more reasonable. Day 24. I called someone to fix the door. I'm not sure why I hadn't after she had done it anyway, or even after she had finished observing my cleaning ritual. They said it will take three days. Day 25. The man asked a lot of questions about the door hole, saying it looked like someone had taken a hatchet to it. He asked why the hole was so low and such an odd size. I lied and he gave me a weird look. I told the truth and he gave me a weirder one. When I insisted it was the truth, he threatened me. I'll be getting someone new to fix the door. Day 26. I'm, I'm still shaking. She's back, but something's different about her. Uh, I, I woke up and found her mouth around my head. A frightening feat. And I saw all the razor-sharp teeth going from the entrance down her throat. My first thought was that she'd come to kill me. My second was to wonder if I was her food. My third, how those teeth functioned in her throat. She eased her mouth off me gently, but a tooth nicked my nose. It barely touched me, but it was a horrible gash and bled hard. She licked it, and her tongue felt like a cat's. The cut stopped. It still hurts. She seemed satisfied by my frightened appearance and left abruptly. That night I watched the news. The man who came to fix my door was found killed in his apartment with what they suspected was a hatchet. She's warning me. Day 27. I woke up to her again, this time on top of me. She's light, but her bones dug into me to awaken me. She stared at me with a smile as I shook and showed her teeth to me again. I managed to whimper, and she retreated to her corner. Day 31, she doesn't leave me alone now. I learned she doesn't sleep. I fill her eyes on me wherever I go. Day 33, I pet a cat on the street on the way home from school yesterday. Today it was gutted on my kitchen table. She grinned when I threw up. Day 34, she was missing for a spell today, and I noticed the closet door open. I felt compelled to look in, and I realized that's where she's been living. There is a strong smell of death. I'm getting more and more frightened. Day 37. For the first time in a long time, she was gone. I spent time with friends. I enjoyed myself. I kissed my boyfriend and hugged him, but said nothing of why we hadn't spent time together. Day 38, 
she cut off his arm. It was in my bed, positioned as if he was caressing me. I stayed home. Day 44. I left the house for the first time in days to see him. He was out of the hospital. He hadn't spoken to anyone. His first words in days were, she said, my property, before he fainted. Day 47. She's become engorged. She leaks a foul-smelling liquid that smells like rotting meat. I'm not sure what she's feeding on. Day 50. She spoke to me. She said I can no longer leave. Day 54. I've run out of food. She saw I didn't eat and brought me something. It was my friend's dog. Day 63. I tried to go get food and she attacked me. I had three puncture marks in my leg from where she pulled me back inside. I ate the dog. Day 68. I cry a lot. I can't make myself leave my bed. The puncture marks are infected. Day 69. I left the bed to clean the punctures. All live. I wish I hadn't cleaned them, but she watched me the whole time. Day 71. I read a book and laughed. She got thinner. Day 72. I smiled. She seemed upset. It took a while to realize the smell of her was missing. Day 77. I know how to kill it. Day 84. I'm finally free. After a week's preparation, I managed to approach her while she was moving to the next room and hugged her. Her skin slick and greasy from that horrible liquid. She screeched and tried to attack, but I was on her back, holding on tight and refusing to give in to fear and give her strength. She ran and I nearly slipped from her speed in that coating, the smell beginning to make me dizzy, but I swallowed the bile rising in my throat and kissed her bald head, feeling the veins pulsing madly. She buckled with a gurgling noise. When I got up, those eyes were white, and she didn't follow me. She's finally dead. Day 85. The body was gone. I find I don't care why, as long as it's gone. Day 87. I woke up to find those claws touching me and immediately hugged the source. A voice laughed. It was male. We already know about you. That won't work twice. I can't stop crying. Day 189. They sent me to my first house. The source is a young boy. He wet himself when my claws touched him in his waking hours. It was wonderful. Well, it started out a little erotic, but <laughs> it got pretty darn good. I mean, it was at least nice of him to let her, let her finish. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they finished together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good story. That was really good. All right. We have, I was his friend. Aww. In high school. In high school. In high school. 
In high school, there was a home on my block that was constantly between occupants. For whatever reason, it just changed hands a lot. We joked that perhaps the house was haunted. But my high school self wasn't worried about that at all. I used to sneak in through an unlocked basement window and hang out there along and uh, hang out there alone and veg out when I needed space. Frequently, I'd been there alone for a few hours listening to music on my headphones. One Saturday afternoon, I was hanging in the empty house listening to music and staring off into space. I was laying there on my back and didn't notice anything weird happening. That's the afternoon I realized that I wasn't the only one who liked to hang out in the empty house. When I packed up my stuff a few hours later and went down into the basement to leave via the window, I passed by the door to the room that I'd been hanging out in. Someone had etched into the back of the door a crude drawing. It wasn't well done, but even with my adrenaline going, I could tell it, it was supposed to be a sketch of me lying on the floor my headphones wrapped around my head. Underneath it, scratching the door, was the word friend. Booyah. Mine are real stories. True stories. This is We Don't Deliver by Wayward Wanderer. DiGiorno. After moving to a small town in southern Michigan, I got a job as a cashier in the local store. After work, I would walk home to my small house and order a small pizza. This was my routine for two weeks when things took a strange turn. I called in my usual order to the pizzeria when a new voice, one I hadn't heard before, answered the phone and told me, The usual? No problem. I'll deliver it in less than five minutes. Sure enough, within five minutes my order was delivered, and it was exactly what I had ordered every night before. When I tried to get the delivery boy a tip, he declined. He said he didn't need it and that he was just working at the pizzeria to get out of the house and to try and meet new people. This became my new routine for about three months. I had ordered the same pizza and same delivery boy would stop by at the same time. It was sort of a running joke between us how he knew my routine so well and that I had always uh, had exactly what he needed. When I grew tired of eating the same thing every night, on my way home, I stopped at the small diner across the street from the pizza place and had a nice dinner. Through the window, I saw my usual delivery boy leave the pizzeria with a box in hand, heading toward my block. I returned home, later than usual, and I found a pizza box sitting on my doorstep. On the box was a note that said, Missed you. Guess I'll get what you owe me tomorrow. This creeped me out. I called the pizzeria and told the manager what I had found. I told him about the message and that for the past three months the same delivery boy had been stopping by and that I was sure he was the one who left the note. It was then the manager told me something I never expected. We don't deliver. Booyah. Booyah. Yeah, that's creepy Stalker. as hell. Stalker. Creepy, 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 creepy. <laughs> a bad feeling. In 2002, I moved to Los Angeles, was living with my fir- in my first apartment alone. I didn't have a lot of money, and my neighborhood wasn't that great. But it seemed safe enough, and I was excited to live in a place alone, so I figured I could handle myself. One morning, I got ready for work, grabbed my bag, and went to head out the door, but the door wouldn't open. 
At first, I thought I'd forgotten the lock was turned, so I double-checked it a few times, but the door was totally stuck. I freaked out, suddenly claustrophobic in the small space, and annoyed that I was going to be late to work. I picked up the phone to call my landlord, landlord when I heard a gunshot outside. I ran to the door, and it pulled open smoothly. I thought I, I thought better of it and shut and locked it again, waiting for the police to come before I opened it again. Later that day, I found out that there had been a shooting directly in front of my building at exactly the time I would have been walking out the door. I wasn't, intent, I wasn't the intended target, obviously, but I think someone was watching out for me, making sure I wouldn't get caught in someone else's violence. Booyah. Guardian angel. Bad feeling. I gotta feel it. <clears throat> the vibes. <clears throat> I gotta feel it. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. <laughs> a few years ago, I sold my car and to the uncle of one of my friends who was a mechanic and frequently bought cars to fix them up again before reselling. I bought a different car from someone else and drove it home and parked it in my driveway. The next morning, I woke up from the most realistic nightmare of my life. In the dream, my husband and I had gotten into my car and drove to work like normal. He drops me off on his way, so we only have to use one vehicle. And we gotten into a gruesome accident that left both of us thrown from the car and horribly mangled in the side of the road. I've had nightmares before, but nothing remotely like this. I felt like it was a premonition and pleaded with my husband until he agreed to take the day off with me. I've never done anything so dramatic before, but I was convinced that something was wrong with my new car. We'd be terribly injured if we drove it in it again. Even just sitting at home, I felt so much anxiety. I was nauseous for the whole morning. My husband got the idea to call my friend's uncle to whom I just sold my previous car to see if he could do us a favor and come and check out our check it and check it out and confirm that it was safe to drive. I called my friend to see if her uncle was around. She sounded upset like she hadn't expected it to be me who called. Instead of asking for her uncle, I asked him why she seemed so upset. I learned that her uncle had just been in a really bad car accident in my old car where he'd been thrown from the vehicle and injured horribly. <gasps> Booyah. Screams in the dark. I used to live in a very beautiful but very rural community in Appalachia. I grew up there, and it felt safe to me. So going on night hikes with my girlfriend was a normal thing. I had a gun back in my truck, but I didn't bring it with me because my only concern was bears, and they weren't around that area. We'd gone on this hike many nights before, when the sky was clear, and it wasn't that dark out. But for some reason, we both felt uneasy on this night. I just kept hearing a little voice in my head saying, Turn back. Turn around. Bright eyes. Every now and then I fall apart. And I need you now or not. And I, I need, need you more than ever. When we were about three quarters of the way to our usual summit, I couldn't take it anymore, and I told her I thought we should turn around. 
bright eyes. Later, she would tell me she's been feeling apprehensive all night, too. She was as eager as I was to get the hell out of there. No sooner had we turned when we heard a blood-curdling scream in the middle of the dark. Bright eyes! <laughs> a second scream broke out in another location. Turn around. Then a third. Every now and then I get a little bit anxious that the best of all the years have gone by. Then a fourth. Turn around. Then a fifth. <laughs> Every now and then I fall apart. All around us, we could hear people hidden in the woods only a few feet away from us screaming at the tops of their lungs in the dark. <laughs> we ran out of there as fast as we could, totally full of adrenaline. I scoured the local paper that entire summer looking for anything that would make sense of what we'd experienced. But no one reported anything weird happening in those woods that summer. Uh, things don't get reported in Appalachia. Especially rural Appalachia. <laughs> I just, huh, they, they were breaking into turnaround. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really, what it was, was just hunters out there, and all of a sudden they hear one person going, turn around. And they just kind of did what we did. Hunters <laughs> just finishing the song for They just sounded like they were just a bunch of people circling them. Well. What's with the accent? I I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. what. I got this accent. No. Um, I think we're going to stop it there. I got a few more. I've got 101 stories here. So I'm going to keep going through this and we'll do next Booyah. I'm going to pull this up. And I bought this book on my Kindle. So I'll have it for longs. Longs times. Longs times keeps. Longs times keeps. Turn around. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. I know our boo y'alls are some, some of y'all's favorites. So, boo y'all. <laughs> boo y'all. Make sure you go to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and like us, follow us, and join our group at UMP Normalcy. Also, join our Discord server um, UMP Normalcy. at UMP Normalcy. You can also find the links for all of those things in the show's description. And don't forget about Parabox Monthly and get your paranormal t-shirt every month delivered to your front door or wherever you give them your address. Uh, Use the link in the description of this show. That link will give us credit for your visit. And then use promo code paranormalcy in checkout and you'll get 10% off your first order. And they're only $19.99 a month anyway, so it's not bad. I'm wearing my Montauk project tonight. Um, Go listen to our friends podcast. Got Luxicult, Smuts Up, Ad Hoc History, Faith Blind Council, Grognostics, yeah. PIOT Paranormal. Chad's episode of Grognostics is still yet to release. Hopefully, mm. it releases by the time this one goes out. I'm checking it daily. I want to hear <laughs> the drunk presidential episode. Um, Steve and Jason, if you need help editing, you can sh- always reach out to me. I will help you edit. Um, <laughs> Uh, anybody else got anything else? What other podcasts am I not thinking of? Fool's Guide. Fool's Guide to the Occult. Fool's Guide to the Occult. Yeah, that's another podcast. Brother of ours. Brother sister of ours. I think that's going to do it. If you like what you hear, share us with your friends. If you don't like what you hear, share us with those that you don't like. And until next time. 
keep digging. Turn around, bright eyes. Every now and then I fall apart. And I need you now, tonight. And I need you more than ever. And if you'll only hold me tight, I'll be holding on. Together we can make it till the end of the night. Love is like a 